Oh my days. Welcome back to Tom's Takes. This is me, Tom Patterson, and it's episode 10. Wow. Double digits. Here we go. Making the big time. (laughs) Good consistency. I'm proud of myself. Let's go. (laughs) Episode 10. Wow. Uh, Wherever you are right now, uh, whatever time it is for you, I hope you're having a great day. Uh, I'm having a great day myself. It's, uh, I don't know, it's been... It's been really busy at the moment, uh, especially with the house sitting uh, in Cherrybrook that we just finished up doing. Uh, so we spent three weeks house sitting two two dogs, and uh, yeah, obviously a house just parvenized. That was nice, but it was almost like a, a a taste at having kids. Almost like the dogs had a very strict routine, like had to be up at 6.30 a.m. And now I can wake up without an alarm at 6.30 and <laughs> just have to listen out for, you know, their, we put them in the laundry to sleep. That's like their routine. So then just listen for like little crying or little paws ready to wake up and go outside and go to the toilet at 6.30 in the morning. So uh, I can get up at 6.30 now, <laughs> just listen out for that. Um, I know like eat certain foods and uh, mainly outside dogs and um, like have a little night routine and sleep routine. So, um, yeah, it's almost like having kids almost a little bit like, uh, not staying out too late to come back and make sure that like they have dinner at a certain time and they have certain things for dinner and have to have like rice and vegetables, had carrots and dog food all mixed together. Um, yeah, (laughs) it was fun, fun times, but, um, it, it gave me a, an appreciation, not with the dog stuff, but just the house sitting at this house. It gave me an appreciation for technology and Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's such a first world problem, but <laughs> the Wi-Fi, if anyone's out there in Cherrybrook or, you know, out in the countryside somewhere <laughs> or um, very hilly area. So, yeah, and it was like this house is at like the top of the hill. Um, so... I don't know, the Wi-Fi was just super patchy in that area. Like Patchy is probably being, uh, <laughs> saying it's rating it too high, I think. Patchy is an overstatement. It was really rough out there. <laughs> uh, had to use like 4G a lot, of, uh, a lot of the time for most of it. And even then, even 4G could barely get itself working sometimes. And yeah, it's, it's it was struggle street because often like Pav and I would have to like have a meeting or do work from home sort of stuff. And then if someone's on the Wi-Fi, the other person better not be on the Wi-Fi or the, even the 4G as well because it's like only one drop of hotspot to go around and trying to share it between us every day was tough. So, um, yeah, it was like one of us would go back to, to our house with there's like more solid internet if we needed to do anything serious. But, um, man, so, yeah, it gave me an appreciation for like, first of all, you know, there was a time like, I don't know, like... Oh, what, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or, or not even, like 50, 30 years ago, where like Wi-Fi wasn't even around. But, you know, when when we used to be all cavemen walking the earth, like we've come so far as like a as a society, as a human race, right? Proud of us. Like how do they, how does Wi-Fi even work? There's so many things. It's just like, tell me how this actually works. Because um, I appreciate it and damn, like it was all just trees and rivers and ocean and some people man like how did we how did how does wi-fi how does 4g how does bluetooth even work 
I don't know. I, I don't need to know, but I just, I, I appreciate it <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Um, my phone bill might be, might've been a bit outrageous over the last few weeks because I'm on a plan where I usually get 30 gigs of data for like $25. So shout out Optus. They've hooked me up as the student deal. But then every every week I've been like getting text messages like, oh, Tom, watch out. Like you're using a lot of 4G, like you're halfway through the 30 gigs. And then uh, just a few days ago, it was like, oh, Tom, you're at like 90%. And if you hit the 100, then we're going to start charging you. Get this. They were like, if you go over 30 gigs, it's going to cost you, then we'll give you an extra gig, but it's going to cost you $10. So every time you use an extra gig, you can use $10. And I was like, what? That's such a ripoff. Let me just go and like, there's got to be another way. So then I just, uh, yeah, went onto their website and then it was like, oh, you can basically just reset your, your plan. So you get another 30, 30 gigs for the same price. And I was like, yeah, why don't I just do that instead of <laughs> one gig for $10 and probably use another like 30 gigs while I'm still here. So that saved me. Um, but then it just made me remind, remind myself of like a funny moment where, um, back in high school, like early high school where I was on like a, yeah, when everyone had like their Nokia brick shithouse phones and, um, I was just on like a really basic plan. It was just like, <laughs> I don't know, like 30 or $40 at the time. That, that's too much for what I was on. I was paying like 30, $40. And I say I was paying, my poor mum was paying, <laughs> um, wasn't, uh, wasn't, um, employed, wasn't like Tom six, seven jobs back then, but I'm not yet. Anyway, I was on this plan and got nothing with it. Got only like, oh, you can send like five text messages a month and you can do five phone calls and maybe you can like, I don't know, check the, check the NRL score once in the one month. <laughs> Other than that, if you go over that, then we're going to go like charge you crazy, uh, all this excess. And then, then I got like a girlfriend in high school and then that month, from getting the girlfriend, it was like sending all these text messages, all these calls, the late night calls, uh, all this data use. Um, and then tried to keep that relationship single for like, as you do like young first high school relationship. But then it's like, Oh, mum got the phone bill and it's like 200, $300. And it's like, Oh, sheesh, the cat's out of the bag of that one. Um, I'm pretty sure she waited to, to have a chat with me about it while I was in the car too. Like we were, we were going for a drive or something and then brought it up while I was in the car and brought the phone bill out. And I was like, Oh, there's nowhere I can run to now. It's over for me. <laughs> um, so we upgraded the plan pretty soon after that one. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone's got like a bit of a moment like that um, with, with uh, their phone, phone usage and a crazy out of, out of pocket bill one day. Uh, so tell me your story, <laughs> send me a DM. <laughs> Uh, that's my one. So yeah, now I'm on, now I'm on the good 30 gig plan, unlimited texts, unlimited calls. So, uh, yeah, Papa doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> or my mom doesn't have to worry about that either. <laughs> uh. We also went and had like a bit of a date night. We went and saw Taylor Swift, but it wasn't actually Taylor Swift, but it was like a a really high quality orchestra in Sydney performing uh, Taylor Taylor Swift songs like in like classical versions like of the instrumentals of it like on 
uh, like it was like three violinists and a, a cello player and they smashed it. It was really, really cool. It was in the Masonic Center in Sydney, kind of, uh, like kind of weird vibes. It was in, it's basically like a courtroom sort of setup, but then they made it really like, I don't know, very spectacular and beautiful with all these like candles everywhere and like mood lighting and, uh, lots of people had the same idea. It was just like a date night, lots of thing. Uh, lots of people on date night there. Um, and yeah, so they, these four musicians played all of like Taylor Swift's biggest hits and it was really cool to see. Like, I don't know, lots of like the slow sort of songs by hers, like the All Too Well and Invisible String, Cardigan. I think that's like from the n- more new album. Um, the one where it's got like the forest picture. Um, damn, I'm forgetting that. I think it's folklore. That's the one. Yeah. So those, those suit like classical music very much so. Uh, but then, you know, the big hits like you belong with me and like, I knew you were trouble, um, shake it off. Even those songs, they, that's what I was really impressed with. Cause they like nailed those songs. It's like, wow, that's tough to do. Like, cause they have really fast moments and they're really upbeat and sort of poppy and vibrant and, um, yeah, they, they, they came out and encouraged us to sing along. They were like the first, uh, words from one of the violinist's mouth when he was, comes up and after they introduce themselves, they're like, obviously, you know, Taylor Swift looks a bit different, right? <laughs> Sorry, we couldn't actually get her to come out. Uh, but we're going to need all your help to sing along and, um, yeah, feel free to, to join us and have a good time. So I know they really made it, um, a really fun and energetic, cool vibe. And it was really, really nice, really cool. Um, really like intimate setting. Like, it, like I said before, a bit, a bit weird that it was in like almost like a courtroom, <laughs> but I don't know. You can make anywhere look really fantastic with, with candles and a bit of mood lighting and I don't know lots of like-minded people just there to sing along to, to Taylor Swift. So I don't know if you, even if you don't like Taylor Swift, I don't know. I really appreciate nice classical music. I'm a bit of a freak like that. I could, you know, lots of times that uh, when I spent in the nursing homes with lots of old, older, the oldies, um, they love classical music. So they, they got me to appreciate it. So I would just listen to classical music by itself sometimes just to like calm down a bit or do some relaxation. But, um, and then the surprising, you know, that they can do Taylor Swift with, like, I would never have thought, but, um, yeah, if you like classical music or you like Taylor Swift, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very good spectacle. Such like good quality musicians and yeah, really cool setting. So it was a really great night. Just one more thing about that, like that, you know, if you don't like Taylor Swift, they were also saying that they do, you know, a Justin Bieber version too. So if you're like, oh, Taylor Swift's not my thing, but maybe if if they did someone else I like, like maybe Justin Bieber, like, well, they do. So um, I think they're going to be, they've got a couple more shows in in end of May and end of June. So I don't know, if you're into that sort of thing, definitely check them out. I think the company's called Fever. Um, but yeah, just, talk, just search in, I don't know, Taylor Swift Orchestra Sydney or Justin Bieber Orchestra Sydney. Um, yeah, great experience. Definitely recommend it. My days today, everybody just strap yourselves in, put the seatbelt on because it's going to be, 
I've I found I've gone down a rabbit hole today. I feel like Alice in Wonderland. Like I've I've gone down with the rabbit, and I've I've drank in a little potion, and I've I've gone into a trap door, and and here we are. Like I've found lots of stories today. We there's lots of uh, great NBA and great basketball that's been happening. Great hockey, a, th- a few things in the NFL, but. Man, we might not even get to it in this podcast because there's been so many cool, random stories and, I don't know, just a few like stories that I want to share about different sports or things that happen that I think are really fun or exciting or interesting or really sort of random or out there. So, uh, yeah, sh- hopefully an entertaining app. Uh, should be like a bit of everything. We might, yeah, we might not get, <laughs> get down to breaking down what's been happening in the, in the basketball So first up, I was just starting my my day looking at some headlines on Fox Sports uh, website and a few of their videos and getting some some good content for us and seeing what big stories are out there. And then I saw this video and picture of this swimmer, this Australian swimmer who they were like, oh, Simpson uh, like recaptures his dream um, to get into the Commonwealth Games and qualifies for the Budapest uh uh, swimming finals in Hungary later this month. And I was like, oh, that guy, his face, that that swimmer looks familiar. Where do I know him from? And so I watched the video and clicked on the story and it was freaking Cody Simpson. And just in case you don't know Cody Simpson, you would have recognized him from maybe like early high school, um, sort of like a bootleg Justin Bieber, but Australia's version of it, like this blonde kid from the Sunshine Coast, I think, or Gold Coast up in Queensland, uh, you know, breaking all the teenage girls' hearts, singing beautiful love songs with his acoustic guitar and just, yeah, making uh, kids go crazy maybe a decade ago and, yeah, broke out into the music industry and went over to the States and uh, toured and did all that sort of thing. And then now he's a swimmer. I was like, what? This guy, uh, you know, pop teen sensation icon goes over to America, has his music career, then comes back and is like, Oh, I want to, I want to be a sing, I want to be a swimmer now. I'll just go and do, and not just like any swimmer, not just like, Oh, I'll do something easy, like freestyle or breaststroke. He's like, no, I'm going to do butterfly, the hardest stroke and a hundred meter butterfly far out. If, if you haven't tried butterfly in just your, your local pool or if you, you're lucky enough to have a pool in your backyard, um, try and do the butterfly stroke for even just three or four strokes. My days, you might have an aneurysm trying to do it. It is full on. <laughs> um, I don't even know. Oh, like I could do it back in primary school, high school, but there's like 25 meters after 25 meters. It's like, Oh, I'm going into respiratory distress here. I'm wheezing. Uh, my chest is really sore. <laughs> I feel like I'm almost drowning. I'm on Bondi rescue here. Come save me, throw the ring out to me. Um, yeah, it's intense. That's the hardest stroke. It takes the most energy. Oh, it's so difficult. Anyway, Cody Simpson, the singer turned swimmer. Um, he, they just had the qualifiers in, in Australia for, in the Australian, uh, like here in Australia, who's going to qualify to swim over at the Commonwealth Games next month in Hungary. So Cody Simpson's event was, yeah, 100 meter butterfly. He ends up coming third place in that event, believe it or not. Um, so 
and he gets right on the qualifying time. Like there's a threshold. I think he had to, he had to swim a hundred meter butterfly in under 52 seconds and he gets 51.96. So he's right on the button, just scrapes in, but then it's, the qualifying system works that only the top two swimmers in each event in the final get to go. So he came third and even though he got under the qualifying time, there was still, you know, two people ahead of him. So, and that's where it gets interesting. So there was a guy, Matt Temple, he won the race. And then second place was a famous uh, up there swimmer, Kyle Chalmers. So he came in second, but he's sort of like a young up and coming talent and has been doing really well at swimming and doing all these competitions, going to the Olympics and yeah, just has a huge name, huge following. So then there was talk that, oh, like, congrats to Cody Simpson because obviously Kyle Chalmers, like, he's got too much going on. He's going to give up his spot. He's going to be, a, like, do the right thing. Like, he wouldn't be able to go to this Commonwealth Games and compete properly. Like, he's got too much other stuff to focus on, yada, yada. So here we go. Cody Simpson gets his shot and see if he can win, like, a Common Games, Commonwealth Games medal. Um but then after, like later that night and the morning after that race, it was like, oh no, Kyle Chalmers isn't going to step down. He isn't going to give up his spot for this Cody Simpson guy. And p- people are speculating, oh, maybe it's because Cody Simpson is now dating Kyle uh, Chalmers' ex-girlfriend, uh, Emma McEwen, another famous swimmer. And yeah, that Kyle Chalmers guy used to go out with Emma McEwen for a while. They split up um, last year, but then now it's been reported heavily that Cody Simpson is now dating Emma McEwen. So there's maybe like no love lost and there's a bit of bad blood between Kyle Chalmers and Cody Simpson and not wanting to give him the place is a bit of, I don't know, a bit of payback or a bit of revenge sort of thing. Um but then now it's uh, it's been reported that that's all swung around. Now that that story came out, Kyle Chalmers has had a change of heart and is like, oh, I don't want to be the bad guy. And of course, that's not that's not the motive for it. So I think he's been pressured into <laughs> allowing Cody Simpson to have his little dream, have his moment. So it turns out with this qualifying time that Cody Simpson will get in and Kyle Chalmers has stepped down for this event. So, Wow. What a roller coaster and man, what a blast for the past. Like that's that's crazy. I don't know. Being so up there and talented in one sort of aspect of of uh music and and singing and uh yeah, playing guitar, that sort of thing. Absolute rock star and then can come out and be like, "Oh no, I'm also like the top 1% in the world at swimming as well." Um <laughs> far out. That's that's insane. Congrats to him. Okay, next up, funny story. Um, and this one sort of origi- originated uh, after having dinner with one of my, uh, two of my good friends, Tristan and Charlie, um, his girlfriend last night. Had a, a nice Indian meal and a bit of a uh, an interesting, interesting drink, <laughs> I'll say the least. Um, yeah, nice Indian food and great to catch up with them. But we were talking a bit about sport and, and Tristan was telling me last night or 
it came up that uh, he was saying like, oh, you know, halftime entertainment in Australia compared to what they do at halftimes or like breaks or intermissions in American sports overseas, it's it's not on the same level. Like, you know, here in Australia, they just sort of, maybe they just get the cheerleaders out and do like a, a bit of a half ass dance or, you know, they get the youngsters out in the field, like local clubs. And I love that. I love that, by the way. It's I got to do that when I played NRL and it was such a cool moment. Um, like they get the, you know, it's under 10s. Like if you're playing in Parramatta at Bankwest Stadium, they might get, you know, the Hills Bulls or Granville or, you know, some Parramatta Leagues club to come through, get their young kids to play a little uh, five-a-side, little tiny game of footy on the field. But um, that, that that's a dream come true and so cool to them. But it's not super exciting for anyone else other than like the parents or um, the kids themselves, like people watching it. If you go to that game and just watching it, it's like, oh, it's cute little kids. But yeah, it, it, it can get old after a while. But I don't know. It was a dream to come true for me. I, I hope they still do it because I remember almost coming off the field crying and um, I'm such a like sentimental guy that I like, I played on, where was it? Yeah. At that Bankwest one, before it was Bankwest, it was more a bootleg sort of field back in the day, but I came off and, uh, took with me like a pinch of the grass from the field and just like, I'm going to keep this forever, mom. I'm going to put it in my room. I'm going to put it in a little glass box and not to like sell it on eBay, but like get your piece of Parramatta grass, Parramatta oval for $50. It was like, no, like. Uh, just want to keep that with me as like a little memento and cool moments. So it's nice to give kids a chance and that sort of stuff. But then in the States, what I'm trying to say too is that it's on another level and they do, they're doing all these competitions and things all the time. So for example, I was telling these guys last night, there's a thing in baseball. Uh, they need to make baseball more exciting. And one of the ways they do it is they actually don't show it on TV. They only show it if you're there in person. So watching baseball in person is way cooler than TV because you get to see at like when they change innings and they're, you know, from going the transition from one team batting to one team catching or pitching, they choose someone from the crowd and they choose someone who might look a bit fast because they're going to do this race and it's called the Mr. Freeze race or the Mr. Freeze challenge. And they get uh, someone from the crowd who looks fast and they've got this like superhero guy, Mr. Freeze is what he's called. I think he's like the mascot for Mountain Dew, I think. If that's wrong, someone can correct me, but he looks like it. And he he looks like, if you've seen The Incredibles, uh, he looks like Frozone, that dude. Like, honey, where's my super suit? <laughs> uh, so he looks like him, but a little bit evil. <laughs> um, so he's in a full blue lycra suit, got the face mask on, or he's got the full, you know, headgear and stuff on like Frozone. And he's in the old lycra, blue lycra. <laughs> and what what happens is, so on the outfield, it's almost like a, baseball is like a diamond field. And at the top, like, so from like the top left corner to the very top middle and then to the top right, that's the racetrack. So at that halftime intermission point, they'll do this Mr. Freeze race where they get an ordinary person to, it's basically a race from that top left corner to the top middle and then to the top right and see who can win. There's people waiting there with like a a giant banner and some tape to see who wins the sprint. It's a bit of a long sprint. It's like a good, it's at least like a hundred meters, I think a hundred meters or 150 meters. But 
So the person as well, they're that confident in Mr. Freeze and Mr. Freeze is such a beast, it's such a tank that they give the person, whoever it is chosen from the crowd, always like at least 10, 20 second head start. So the gun goes off, you start running and you're like going past first base in the outfield and then you turn the corner and then Mr. Freeze, you can hear this like galloping, you can hear almost like a horse behind you thundering. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, just go, just type in on YouTube right now, Miss best Mr. Freeze races or Mr. Freeze falls or something like that. And you'll see, yeah, you'll see Frozone and you'll see some random person trying to race or like, yeah, Mr. Freeze closest finishes and see... Uh, this race go down. It is so entertaining because <laughs> all the time you're like, damn, that person, the ordinary person in the crowd has a huge head start. And it's like, oh, no way Mr. Freeze is catching that person. Like he's already, that person's already like 50 meters, a hundred meters down. They only got like 50 meters or another hundred meters. But then he, <laughs> it must be, it must be Usain Bolt under there. <laughs> like Frozone is actually Usain Bolt because it's actually, a, it's like a breaking news story when Mr. Freeze loses. That's how often this guy wins. He pulls it out the bag. Like he always comes through in the last 50, 20 meters to, to turn on the jets and somehow uh, end someone's dream. I think there's like a 50 grand cash prize or something if you, if you beat Mr. Freeze. So everyone is really trying. Everyone's gunning for their life. Um, yeah, that that's so entertaining. Another one, another like halftime or quarter time thing, especially in basketball, is they'll get all the parents who brought like their babies in the crowd to come on the field and they, they get on one side of the court, mum and the baby and the other side of the court, whoever else it is, dad or grandma, whoever you want to bring. And then it's like a crawling race to see which baby can make it from one end of the floor to the other side the fastest. And the prize is like a year of free childcare. <laughs> so, you know, anywhere around the world, except those Scandinavian countries that do it legit, yeah, that's worth a lot, right? Especially in Australia or America, free childcare for a year damn, you want to be almost training your baby. <laughs> so there's like mom on one end and the, you know, they, they fire off the cannon or fire the, the gun to start and then the see which babies can crawl to the other side the fastest. And it's so funny because some babies just don't know what, what's happening at all. They just sit still sort of sucking their thumb. And then other babies are like, going off to the stand, maybe mum and dad are out there, but grandma or the brother or sister is back in their seat. So the, the baby starts crawling the other way to the stand. It's like, no, no, go, go forward. Come on. The free childcare, man. <laughs> and then some babies is like, oh damn, they've been practicing at home for this. Some are like zooming. They're almost like a dog or a horse, like galloping or crawling along. This, I think they do like a little uh, world record times for it <laughs> to see who, which baby's the fastest. I think like 30 seconds is the fastest anyone's done it in. And that baby was like on a mission <laughs> straight out the gate, bolting through. So I don't know. That, that sort of stuff is so entertaining as well. Um, I always love the like sponsorships by like Dr. Pepper or freaking whoever. It's like make a half court shot and you get free college tuition um, or, you know, you get accepted into any degree that you want. Um, if you make this shot or if you can fire like with NFL or college football, they get like these massive garbage can sort of things, but, or like make Dr. Pepper look like a, 
a massive life-size cutout of it and put a like little circle hole in the middle of it. And whoever can throw the most footballs through it in 30 seconds gets a hundred grand and entry into whatever course they want to do. So that sort of stuff, that is extremely fun. I'm not trying to say <laughs> don't give kids like me the opportunity to live out their dream and play play football on the on the on the field uh for the first time and maybe only time if, uh, if they don't make it so that was really cool but i think america does it does it to the next level where they still give those kids opportunities but they're always thinking of weird sponsorships or weird activities weird games like the mr freeze thing or the baby crawling championship to make sports interesting and keep the crowd in, engaged the whole time so yeah, if you wanted to see any of those, def- if, uh, in your lunch break or whatever, or whenever you're having a break or can get on YouTube or whatever, type in, you know, best Mr. Freeze races in baseball history or whatever, and then type in, like, um, basketball baby crawling races during halftime or whatever. There's some very funny moments in that. Uh, yeah, very entertaining. Another funny sort of story about sport that I wanted to share, because I think it's really cool and not a lot of people know this, and even I only found out about this a few years ago, um, and I've just watched this phenomenon happen for all of my life in sports, is that, have you ever noticed that whenever a, a team wins, like either, you know, the championship round or even the grand final, you know, there is, there's staff on the team and there's special people out there ready with, you know, champions, let's say it's like Parramatta Eels or, you know, New England Patriots or whoever it is, Golden State Warriors, like Parramatta Eels, 2022 champions, like NRL champions. And they already have all these like snapbacks or hats ready to go, t-shirts, jackets with them, like minor premiers or champions. Um, Minor premiers is easier to tell, but you know, they've already got all these shirts and stuff ready, but it's like, what if Parramatta or whichever team it was, what if they actually lost the grand final? Like they just made these shirts for nothing. It's like, how did they know? Was it a conspiracy? Did they just let that team win? So then they didn't print off the other team shirts. Um, No, I'll answer that question first. They always have it ready so that there's already shirts and designs made up for whichever grand finalist like wins. So you know, if it was Parramatta Eels versus West Tigers or Sydney Swans versus Collingwood, like both teams have, you know, Sydney Swans premiership winners or grand final winners or uh, 2022, whatever year, they all have it all sorted out and they bring it to the game already. But then it's like, well, Tom, what happens if you know someone's got to lose? And do they just waste that, um, all those clothing, all those hats, like, you know, if they're going to be prepared so far in advanced, you wouldn't, no one's going to wear it if um, that team loses, right? Like what actually happens to it if Sydney Swans or Parramatta Eels loses the grand final? It's, it was for nothing. It was pointless. Like it's great to have it if they win, but may as well throw it in the bin if they lose, right? Wrong. This is where a great part about sports and we have so many, I don't know, underprivileged and under-resourced people around the world. So especially what lots of different sporting teams do is they'll have partnerships with, um, you know, communities over in Africa or in Southeast Asia or India, wherever, like struggling communities, and they'll ship off all this spare clothing and what have you, hats, all this gear 
to people in those villages just to wear and to have as, you know, sort of like a gift or just, yeah, like a donation, like a charity type of thing. Um, because they know lots of people don't have access to get new clothes or, yeah, have been wearing the same shirt or shoes on their back for 10, 20 years and don't have money to go and get things like that. So making sure that it's not wasted. But it's funny because, you know, for example, teams that have had all these dynasties, right? Like New England Patriots in the NFL have won, you know, six champion, six, seven championships in 20 years. You know, Golden State Warriors in basketball had that four, you know, five-year stretch where they won four, the title four times against the Cavaliers. So then to the kids in Africa and or in Asia, when they get the, the championship merch, they would think that's the team that won. So it's like the Cavaliers lost all those times to the Warriors in basketball back in the mid-2010s. Uh, but it's like, oh, no, if you went over there, they, they'd tell you, Man, LeBron, he's the GOAT, man. He won four times in five years. And in Cleveland, they were such a bad team. Like, look, we have all the championship gear. Like, Cleveland Cavaliers, champions of the NBA 2016-2014. That's funny to think about because it's like, it's it's such a great use for that clothing and stuff that it doesn't just go to waste, but it's like hoodwinking all the all those communities out there going, oh, I go for the Cavs cause, or I go for Cleveland because they win all the time, or I go for who do the Patriots uh, beat all the time? Maybe like Green Bay or um, Peyton Manning's teams with the Colts. It's like, oh, I love Indianapolis. They're the best. They always beat Tom Brady. Hell yeah. <laughs> but actually, no, it's the other way around. So uh, those, those poor people that are wearing those clothes, like it's great, great to give it to them. It's a great use. So it's not just thrown in the bin, but it's like, oh no, they don't, maybe they don't actually know that um, that team didn't win. Uh, that's funny. That's funny to think about. <laughs> uh, so that's weird. Weird to know, right? Okay, on to the next story or interesting thing. And this one I'm, I'm, I'm happy for. This is a step in the right direction. I found out a few days ago that um, the US uh, national soccer team, both men's and women's, have come to an agreement to uh, be the first country to ever um, do equal pay for its professional athletes, for its soccer players. So what they're doing is for the next six, seven years until the 2028 World Cup to do like a trial run at how this is all going to work. But for the next six years, put in place all of the, like put into a big pool, um, a big pot, all the sort of salary cap or allocation of wages and money that all the players were going to earn, like... Um, and that would be a certain amount and then divide that fairly and equally that each player on the men's soccer team, as well as women's soccer team, doesn't matter if it's a starter substitute or bench player, they're all going to get paid the same amount of money. Um, so they're all each going to get an average salary. I think that it was 600,000 us dollars. So geez, that is a, that's some good pay. Um, Especially considering, because I think a lot there there has been a lot of talk in disparity between men's and uh, women's pay in different sports and the fairness and equity of that sort of that sort of thing. Um, especially when you hear about 
you know, female athletes especially, there is that disparity in that I've heard stories that lots of female athletes still have to have almost like a regular person job. Like some of them are still, you know, they have to go to university or they have to go and be an accountant on the side or be whatever so that, you know, by day or by night they're playing football for their country, but also Monday morning they're they're doing their spreadsheets, they're they're dialing up on Zoom, they're they're in the office, um, they're out here having to to survive, uh, really grinding it out because previously they were only getting paid, you know, thirty k, forty k, fifty k sort of thing. Where yes, that's enough to get by on and better than some people out there, but um, compared to what men's people were, were making almost every player getting over like a million dollars. Um, yeah, that, that's really tough. And it's, I think it's a step in the right direction. Like there's lots of, oh, it does get complicated where everyone's doing, maybe has different roles. And that thing of like some people who are starting versus players, you know, who are playing every game, who are playing 90 minutes, the full game versus someone who maybe only plays one or two games a season or plays one or two games at the World Cup is getting the same amount of money as the star player. That's interesting and that's going to be tough to manage, I think. But then, I don't know. It's you know, it's a great move in the right direction. Uh, female sports, women's sport, women in sport have been um, like trodden over for a long time and don't get enough respect, don't get enough equal opportunities. And I don't know, previously you can say that Oh well, you know it's a it's an entertainment factor, and it's a you know bringing in the audience, and people just need people watch men's sport more, and that's true. But then, not enough, not enough opportunity, not enough chances, not enough um, has been invested from all different levels, from ground grassroots and ground up, all the way to the top level of sport in women's sport in particular. So, it's great to focus on it more have more conversations about it, get it out there more. That's the way it keeps improving. So it's a step in the right direction. Hopefully it's not, um, you know, not trying to draw attention to this and actually doing something else bad in, in the US soccer scenes behind the scenes. Now that's like, Oh, we've got this good publicity on this end. Now we can, let's see if we can get this passed or, you know, pass this legislation or do this tricky policy. So that it actually means, you know, more sponsorships goes to the star players or whatever. So I don't know. I think some overall it's, it's a win, but, um, it doesn't solve everything still, but it's, it'll be an interesting trial and, um, a good sort of blueprint to other nations to say, you know, not just to talk about it, but to try something, actually do something about it and, and make it possible. So yeah, I like that idea of putting everyone's wages into the same sort of pool. And then let's say that's that equals like whatever it is, uh, $50 million or whatever they have to play their players over the next 10, 10 years. And then they can divide that equally between, you know, 50 players or whatever, or a hundred players, whatever it is, um, that everyone gets a certain amount instead of where you have, you know, just like a Landon Donovan or a Michael Bradley or Megan Rapano. Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, all of those sort of superstars are on the same sort of level and there's no, yeah, big outcries and there can be more more fairness and opportunity and equity um, amongst who really needs to be lifted up and who has struggled for a, for a while and 
yeah, who really needs it? So I like that. It's a great move, a, a great story, and I hope other nations can can draw inspiration from it, but then also, I don't know, really investigate it, inquire into it, see what's working well, and then if it isn't working well, not to just go, oh, we shouldn't do it, but try to figure out some other system or way of, of still uh, bringing up uh, women's sport and whatever league that is. So, yeah, I like it. Positive start. On to a juicy story next. I uh, I might have inco- uh, uncovered a little bit of a conspiracy theory in the soccer world. So I found out a couple of days ago that the very famous English team, Liverpool FC, who's been doing quite well and was the subject to that bet that I talked about a few days ago, a few people out there think that they might be cheating. They might be doping. Uh yeah, doing a bit of suspect uh, tactics because on their team, they have more than half their squad, half their players. So they have 35 players on their roster and over half their team. So I think 22 of those 35 players have asthma to some level of degree. Like thir- uh, out of the 35, 22 of them have been officially diagnosed with having uh, asthma, with being asthmatic. Um and that's already like, wow, to a little bit, I don't know, coincidence or amazing that, yeah, amazing that so many athletes can get to that high level with asthma. And I'm not saying that no one with asthma can get to a high level, but I know a lot of asthmatic people out there. And with my time being a physio, I've treated a few people with asthma and just know a lot of friends with asthma. And they're doing life tough out there. <laughs> they get breathless real easily and it is not to be played around with. They need to have their medication and their ventilators, their like well, their ventilin and their puffers around them all the time because if they have uh, a little episode or a panic attack or go too hard at something, um, they can get breathless real easy and get into a lot of distress and it can be serious very, very quickly. Um, so it's amazing that over half their team, like teams as well are very like business focused. They wouldn't just, you know, it's not a charity out there. They're not just like, Oh, let's give you a run, Tom. Like you have asthma. We feel sorry for you. How would you like to play for Liverpool? We'll just let you go out there. Like we don't care about winning the league. We don't care about winning all these trophies or securing sponsorships, yada, yada, you know, we want to feel good. We want to make people have their dreams. You might not be the best player, but you have asthma. Let's run you out there. No, it doesn't work like that. They need, they are always looking for, and it's so competitive because only the best of the best, the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1% get into these elite sports professions and become athletes, especially onto this team with how high quality they've played over the last few years and the style of play that they play. So Liverpool play this system or their tactic is to put a lot of pressure on you, to do a lot of running around, a lot of high intensity effort, energy, sprinting all the time, like in your face, not giving you any space, putting all the pressure onto you. You know, other teams might sit back and try to defend and just build a wall. No, they're not trying to do that. They're trying to play like the most in, intense game of like tag with you. It's like 
if you have the ball or like the most intense game of piggy in the middle, like if you have the ball, you like, we are running at you like a, a Spanish bull and you're wearing red. Like we are coming at you and we're trying to get you. We're trying to put you to the ground. Uh, we're trying to get in your face. We're trying to tackle you right now and steal the ball and go score a goal every time you have the ball. And that takes, like I said, it takes a lot of energy and usually you can't do that for the whole game. Like I love that tactic because it shows, yeah, I love when teams play with effort and energy and try to take the game for themselves. I totally respect that. But it's never been done before like Liverpool are doing it and they're doing amazing where they can do it for long periods of time. Usually how you would do this tactic that most teams do it is let's do this tactic for the first five minutes, try to steal a goal and then sit back and build the wall. Like play really aggressive in the first five minutes or just after halftime or just before that game's about to end, steal a goal and then let's catch our breath again because that took a lot of energy, almost like on a Mario game or like a Nintendo game, fill up your stamina bar again, sit back and build the wall just play easy defense and then maybe in 10, 20 minutes, let's go on the, ch- the charge again. Let's go attack and play this pressing type of uh, defense. And they love to run fast in attack and they're loving to run fast in defense. So it's like, wait, you love to do that? And it's been remarkable that you can do it so well. But you're telling me you're doing this tactic that requires you to be basically sprinting the whole game giving all of your effort, putting your lungs like on max level, um, <laughs> yeah, putting them on like max level alert the whole game, making like taking deep breaths, fully, uh, fully exerting your lungs, your respiratory system. And half the people that are doing this have asthma and there's been no, <laughs> no like deaths or anything yet. There's been no in- medical incidents. What the heck? Um, And then you think, oh, wow, if you're asthmatic, though, if you're asthmatic, you're allowed to take certain medications in sport that are actually banned uh, that regular people wouldn't be able to take. So with asthma, you're allowed to take this medication, salbutamol. Um, It's kind of like uh, Ventolin, like with the puffers and inhalers, that sort of thing, where I think Liverpool how they've been getting away with it is saying getting going to their you know their friend uh having doctors in high places those sort of things that can just give them the asthmatic diagnosis even though they don't have it then they can take these banned drugs these banned substances these perform performance enhancing medications and drugs that make their lungs work better make their blood pump faster make their muscles less tired, all those sort of things that an asthmatic would need just to keep up at a normal level so that they can play this really intense system and they don't get tired when other teams would get tired, when no other team's able to do this. Like, you look at back at the start of the season, you know, anyone that's played sport and then you've had your summer off and you come back those first few games, it's like, damn, you know, halftime, everyone's like looking down at the floor, everyone's red-faced, everyone's like, some, some people are even vomiting. It's like, it's been a rough summer. Like no one's kept up their cardio and stuff. And I know that it's different with professional athletes, but it's similar sort of phenomenon. Like it takes you a while to get into your peak shape and players don't just come back at the start of the year ready to go. You have to ease into it. So a lot of the teams play at sort of like their 50%, 60% sort of level to really take it easy and then build into their season. And that keeps the injury rate down and, 
players just wouldn't have the capacity for it. But you look back at Liverpool statistics, like when normal teams would only run as a whole team, maybe on average, you know, eight, nine kilometers per game in soccer, each player at the start of it in preseason and the first few rounds, all the Liverpool players are running twice as much, three times as much and making it look effortless, making it look easy. So they're like playing already as if it's like a Champions League final, but it's just the preseason or it's just a game against like Watford or Burnley or something in the Premier League. It's like, wait, what? You guys were like in Mexico. You guys were in Cancun or in the Maldives or something and, you know, eating steak for dinner every night, not really exercising and you're able to just come back from the beach and full sprint for 90 minutes at 200%, four or five games in a row at the start of the year. What? What's going on? Then you drug test them and it's like, oh, they do have these medications. We have seen a little salbutamol, bit of X, uh, XYZ. Oh, wait, he's got asthma, so that makes sense. But it's like, whoa, more than half the team has got asthma. No other team has got that many players having asthma. Not a lot of asthmatics make it that high up into super cardio-heavy sports. That seems a bit sus to me. <laughs> what do you guys think? Okay, another cool story on a different note in uh, college NFL, like so college American football that's happening right now is that um, a few of the top teams, a few of the top coaches from different teams are sort of going at each other in a bit of war of words and having a bit of a, a scrap, a bit of a cat fight over recruiting, uh, you know, who's been the best at recruiting and have they recruited the best players for their team um, from all the best high school kids available around America and around the world. Has that been fair this year? Um, so the usual top dog, the usual best team and the, the current, well, not the current national champion because that's Georgia. They, uh, they dethroned Alabama, but the Alabama head coach, Nick Saban, absolute god, um, has basically won enough national championship rings that he could put one on all his 10 fingers and 10 toes, basically, um, Alabama has been even more of a dynasty than any other team that you can probably think of over the last 20, 30 years. Um, yeah, best team in college football every year, really. Um, every year they don't win the title. It's like a massive surprise. Um, college football, football in that part of the world, Alabama, is bigger than bigger than God, bigger than a religion, uh, truly. That's not even an exaggeration. Um you know, if they play games on Sundays, the churches are empty. <laughs> They're all, you know, the Alabama football field is, is turned into a church, basically. Um, and they're singing all the, all the favorite songs there. Anyway, so like the family, <laughs> anyway, um, the head coach of Alabama, Nick Saban, was a bit, has been having a little bit of a whinge, has been having a bit of a cry. Because this year, the football team Texas A&M, that college uh, in college football, out-recruited Alabama. So every year, you know, in the summertime um, or before then, in the, in the autumn time and springtime, the coaches after the football season finishes get to go around and do all these like high school visits and basically like sell their soul, sell their soul, uh, you know, sell their case to high school kids coming out of high school to you know, who come and play for our college. Uh, give us the, like, 
here's our argument. This is why we want you. You have all these choices, but you should come and play at Alabama because X, Y, and Z, because one, two, three, we're the best team. All these reasons. That's where they're trying to, you know, every day these college kids or these high school kids are getting door knocked. Um, and it's like the head coach of Alabama or Clemson or Georgia, all the best top five, top 10 teams. And they're all uh, competing against, against each other to try and secure the best high school prospects coming out. So all these 15, 16, uh, 17-year-old kids are having to make these massive decisions at that age of, you know, they're the best football player in their state or maybe even the country or even just their city. And then who are they going to play college for? Um, and that's a big decision because college then feeds into the NFL, like through the NFL draft. And you want to play for, you know, big teams that can get you that publicity, get you that exposure, um, give you a chance to win a title so that you can meet the right scouts and you can get noticed and drafted highly and, you know, get onto a, a good team and have a good career. So super, super competitive and happens at a young age. Anyway, Nick Saban with Alabama, they've been the top dog. And they found out after this spring-autumn period where they went through recruiting, uh, a lot of recruits actually passed up on Alabama and they were the number two best school at recruiting. And they were like, number two? That's not good enough. Who was number one? And they found out Texas A&M was number one. And they were like, what the heck? How did they do that? So they did a bit of investigation and they found that the rules in college football have changed recently. There's this new thing called the NIL. It's called Name, Image, and Likeness. So previously, uh, college athletes, high school athletes, uh, were not able to basically like endorse themselves or get sponsorships or make any money outside of being like getting a scholarship from their college. So, you know, even for every sport, like you see, who else? Like Ricky Ponning a few years ago had that deal with like Swiss Vitamins. I don't know if you got knows like lots of NFL or NBA players, but you have like Steph Curry trying to sell me cryptocurrency. Tom Brady's trying to sell me avocado ice cream. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, he's like the owner of Papa John's and he's always on the pizza commercials trying to sell me pizza. Um but what they did was the government came in with this rule that's been overturned, but previously they had, you know, no player could make money off their name, image, or likeness, the NIL. Um, so no player could get sponsored by Pepsi or Coke or their local car dealership, whatever. You couldn't even have a YouTube channel and monetize it. That's how bad it was. But now that rule has been overturned. So players now are getting these sponsorships way earlier and at a young age. So now the script is being flipped a little bit and now colleges are trying to catch up to Alabama. And previously, Alabama, they became the best team because they had the most amount of money and winning gets you money. So they had you know, the biggest and the deepest brown paper bags right? that they were able to go door knocking previously and just show up and be like, here, kid, we're not supposed to do this, but under the table, there's a hundred grand to come to Alabama and no other school's going to offer you more than that. And we're the best school too. So that's how Nick Saban used to do it. He's been, he went through on spring and autumn, summertime, still doing the brown bag strategy, I'm sure. But now other teams are saying, forget the brown bag. We, we couldn't keep up with Alabama giving 50 grand 
like our 50 grand compared to their 100 grand, why don't we go over to Coke, Pepsi, car dealerships, Dr. Pepper, Papa John's, <laughs> Domino's, Pizza Hut, and try to go, hey, come, like, let's use our university name to try and get this kid a scholarship, a, not only a scholarship, but sponsorships so that we can go, hey, come to our school. We've already lined up, like, Pepsi and Coke and Adidas, Nike for you. Um, come to our school. We've, you know, instead of the 100 grand, you're going to make 2 million here and be the star player of our college. That's how Texas, Texas A&M has done it. They've been able to very smartly secure lots of uh, high school kids, the name, image, and likeness uh, sponsorships. And it's a crazy world nowadays because now we have, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids making two, three, four, five million dollars of sponsorships every year plus the scholarship and getting paid more than some NFL players that go later in the fifth, sixth, seventh round or undrafted or have been in the league a few years. These freshmen at colleges are getting more money than these dudes. So that's going to be, again, an interesting sort of ego and locker room thing when they all get together, once they all make it into the league, because this rule has just been overturned. So it's going to take a couple of years for some of these kids to get into the NFL. But, uh, man, crazy. So that Nick Saban in Alabama is just a little bit butthurt that they've been outswindled with the NHIL law changes and they weren't quick enough to go and get sponsorships for their own kids. They were just relying on their name a little bit, which it still did them well. They came second in the recruiting class. They're still the number two best team based off their recruits, uh, their 15-year-olds that are coming in. But Texas A&M, very smart. Look out for it and look out for lots of Texas A&M kids in the commercials, <laughs> especially if you watch American TV. We might not get it as much in Australia, but uh, yeah, you're going to see a lot of you know the Texas A&M quarterback or running back or that sort of thing trying to sell you Coke or Adidas. <laughs> um, yeah, good on him. All right, this has already been a long episode, so I'm not. We're going to get into the NBA next episode, and I know there's been a few games, but I'll probably summarize what's been happening uh, over over a few games rather than try to make this one two or three hours or something because this has already been a long episode. But I had an interesting question from Brendan. Uh, keep writing me in your questions at at Tom Patterson ninety seven on Instagram. Uh, send me a direct message, send me your suggestions about what to talk about or give me a question or an interesting story. Uh, very happy to hear it. Um, so he writes in and says, it's not, it's not even a sporting question, which is why I love it so much. He writes in and says, do you remember the wheels versus doors debate on TikTok and Instagram a few months ago? Like what's, what are there more of in the world? Like wheels or doors? The new one now is, what is there more of in the world? Legs or eyes? Give us your take. Jeez, Brendan, I haven't heard of this one. Legs or eyes, what is there more of in the world? I've heard of the other one, the wheels, doors one. I think I was a wheels man, I think. Yeah, anyway, that's going to stir. That's going to stir it up again. <laughs> uh, legs or eyes? I'm thinking instantly, like, surely there's more more eyes because more people have lost 
maybe there's more like amputees, like more people have lost a, a leg. Like it's more common to lose a leg than an eye. I feel like I'd rather lose a leg than an eye because the prosthetic would be, is cooler. The leg one and you could still walk and that sort of stuff. And I don't know, I feel like vision is more important than that. So I'm thinking, thinking legs. Hmm. No, no, sorry. I'm thinking eyes. Oh, but then, oh, I'm just thinking humans. What about animals? Animal, there's so many animals, like, there's like an octopus count. Cause it's like, that's like eight legs, eight tentacles. And that's arms. But then you have lots of four legged animals, like dogs, cats, cheetahs, lions, Man, that's a lot of legs. That's a lot. Spiders, eight legs. Or oh, centipedes, millipedes. Oh my days, that's like a hundred legs. It's got to be legs then. Hmm. Oh, maybe I'm a legs. Legs has got to be it then. There must be more legs than eyes in the world. What has a lot of eyes? Oh. I'm just thinking of like, oh, I don't know. Oh, what about fish? Fish don't have legs, but they have eyes. There's a lot of fish. <laughs> ah, this is so hard. Okay, Brendan, I get why this is a thing. What, what is there more of, legs or eyes? I think just with the millipedes and centipedes, that sort of thing, I think I'm going to have to go legs. I think that's won me over. Okay. I need to hear it though. What is everyone saying? Is there more legs or eyes in the world? And it's not just a human thing. It's the whole world, animals, whatever you can think of. Has to be real though. But I'm on, I'm on team legs right now. See, t team eyes, I want to hear it. Try to, try to swing me over. And team doors, swing me over as well. <laughs> uh, apart from that, we're going to leave it there. And we're going to go through... Um, yeah, like I said, more NBA, a bit more NFL. I think we're going to have some guests on soon. So some people have hit me up, like Migs, Miguel, like a legend, a good friend from uni. He's really into um, like boxing and fighting in the UFC, that sort of thing. So I'm excited to have an episode in a few weeks coming out with him. It'd be nice to sit down, uh, learn a bit more about that because I know a little bit about boxing in the UFC, that sort of thing, but more like bait sort of stuff uh, around like, Oh, Conor McGregor and how cool and all the trash talking he was, he had uh, a few years ago, like the whole Khabib sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, lots of those sort of things, but I have a lot to learn and yeah, fascinated to, to hear what we talk about. And I'm sure he'll be teaching me a lot. So excited for it. A few people, uh, things like Tristan and Jack and Charlie know a lot about the NF, uh, the NRL. So I'm sure we'll talk about NRL a little bit and, uh, especially with State of Origin coming up. Um, another good friend, Nisha, knows lots about the AFL, um, so would love to have a chat with her. Um, yeah, the exciting stuff since. So, if, yeah, if you know about a certain sport, I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to, to catch up and we can record a little bit and love to yeah learn a little bit about that. Or even if you're, you're not uh, super sporty, we can just have a chat about uh, different things we're confused about and maybe someone can help us out with it. Um, yeah, I think next episode I'm going to have a segment too on like the greatest of all time, who the goat is in each, in each sport that I can think of. 
Um, so we'd love to hear who your greatest of all time in, like which player you think was the greatest of all time in whichever sport you follow or you're super into, whether that's NRL, AFL, golf, football, soccer, tennis, uh, Formula One, whatever, V8 supercars, <laughs> ice hockey. Uh, yeah, let me know. Keen to... Yeah, there's a lot of sports where I have an idea of who I would put as the greatest of all time, but then I was just, even just thinking like, damn, NRL, like who do you put as the greatest of all time? AFL, like that Lance Franklin, the Buddy Franklin dude who kicked a thousand goals. He's pretty good, right? Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure people are screaming at their phones right now going, this person, Tom, this person. Like Adam Goods, he's the goat. He's a goat for me of AFL. He's a freaking legend. Um, there's hard ones like tennis, right? Like Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, they've all won around 20 grand slams. Like how do you choose who's the goat with that one? Um, I don't know. I know a little bit about hockey, but would love, you know, all the, (laughs) all the pop culture, all the uh, pop songs or or rap songs all mention Wayne Gretzky. He's the goat of uh, hockey. Um, but I wouldn't be able to confirm it. I've never seen him play. Um, but yeah, send me through which sport and who you think the greatest of all time of, yeah, player of that sport was. Are you legs or are you an eyes person? <laughs> which is there more of? Um, yeah, thank you so much for the support. I uh, appreciate you guys. Whatever time it is for you now, wherever you are, hope you have, keep having a great day. Uh, I'll see you next time. Bye.